Hello, welcome to the Curator Podcast, and this is episode 7. Once again, dear listener to the Curator Podcast, I'm your host Mark Fraser and this is episode 7. How are you doing? That's what I want to know, how you're doing. I'm doing pretty well. This week I was extremely fortunate to be able to sit down with a songwriter who I think is one of the most underrated songwriters of my generation and is also perhaps one of the most influential songwriters as well. His name is Jonah Matranga and if you don't know him, he used to play in a band called Far. Far were and I guess still are, a very influential band. They, their influence stretched from the likes of the Deftones and the, all the kind of alt-metal bands of that era right up to that whole emo post-hardcore explosion in the early and mid-2000s, which is kind of the music that I grew up listening to when I was in my teens. He's one of the most humble, inspiring and most staggeringly prolific people I've ever seen, and it was such an honour to chat with him. My journey with Jonah dates back to 2005. At that time, I was a huge Funeral for a Friend fan, and at the time, I was also seeing a girl who both loved Funeral for a Friend and his band Far. At some point during uh, the touring cycle for their first album, Funeral for a Friend's Casually Dressed in Deep in Conversation, they did a cover of The System live on Radio 1, which is a Far song. It was a combination of that and the aforementioned girl's love for Far, which turned me on to Jonah. So in 2005, when he toured with Funeral for a Friend and a band that he was in called Gratitude, is when I actually first got to meet him. Later in that year, I managed to see him level on a venue called The Barfly in Glasgow, which no longer exists. At some point through the wonders of MySpace, Jonah put out a bulletin, because remember that's what it used to be called, these used to be bulletins. He put out like this post which basically said that he would do some unique one-off recordings for people. All I had to do was email him with some songs and he'd work on it and send it back to them. And so I did that. Uh, he did a cover of a Jimmy World song called Work and also a placebo song, the name of which I can't remember. And it was one of the coolest things I'd ever heard and probably one of the most unique experiences I've, like, I've ever had. I've never had music which has been made just for me. So that was pretty cool. In the years since, I've followed his progress quite closely, but I've somehow never managed to make it down to one of his Glasgow shows. That was until recently. On Facebook, I saw one of my cousins saying that he was going to attend a Jonah Matranga show in Aberdeen, so naturally I had a look online to see if he was playing in Glasgow, and he wasn't. But he was playing near. He was playing near Glasgow in a place called Dunlop, which is a small village in between Glasgow and Kilmarnock. It was in a bowling club, and it turned out that he was doing two shows that day. He was doing a 4pm matinee style show and then another one at 8 o'clock. So I dropped him an email, arranged an interview and then I headed down. And that's when things got pretty weird. The village itself was pretty sleepy. It's a kind of one shop, one pub place that's so achingly parochial it could have come straight out of a James Robertson novel. By 4.30pm the bowling club was full of people of all ages from the age of 8 to the age of 82. Everyone there seemed to love Jonah. Everyone there was somehow touched by this guy's transcendent musical energy. He arrived as just one man on a guitar. There was no tour manager, no crew, no fuss at all. Quietly and then loudly, 
went about his business. The place loved it. The crowd was so quiet, they were so polite that you could hear cars passing off in the distance and the silence in between the songs. And after the show was over, they put on a buffet in the kitchen upstairs in the bowling club. It was probably one of the most punk rock things I've ever experienced and it's an experience unlike anything I've ever had in my life. Somewhere, somehow, some American guy who was beloved by a fan with enough balls to ask him to travel out to the sticks somewhere outside Glasgow asked me to become and be part of his life and he subsequently decided to do it and then somehow end up becoming part of that village's life. This American, this post-hardcore legend, this songwriter whose influence will be writ large for many years to come from literally the other side of the world, from one of the biggest cities on earth, has found a home in being let into the hearts of the residents of a tiny village in the middle of Scotland. And he did it without pomp and circumstance with a humble heart and a loving embrace. When he took to the stage to perform that one man and one guitar, he filled that room as Jonah's want to do. And even though he's an artist, and an artist's mission is to somehow leave a piece of himself with you, somehow they left a piece of himself with him. I left before the evening show began, but it was only then that people from outside Dunlop had started to arrive to see Jonah. I wonder what their experience was like. In the podcast that follows, Jonah explains how Dunlop became a thing. I enjoyed sitting with him in a gazebo next to this really well manicured bowling green in literally the middle of nowhere. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed doing it. I'm going to open the interview with a track called I Really Love Your Company because there's probably no song which quite encapsulates that experience quite like this. Days when I just wanna run away. My heart feels cold and dark, you know, the skies are gray. And I know that things will change, but I can't see. And those are the days I really love your company. I really love your company And there are days when I wake up And I just smile And it feels like my good mood might last a while And everything feels right and sweet and free are the days really love your company I'd really love your company company I don't want you by my side Yeah, I just know it's simply I 
really love your company. Yeah, I really love your company. Company. Jonah, it's a pleasure. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's life is life is good. You seem to be always on tour. What what is with that? I think I mean I think the main thing, aside from the fact that I just adore music and this is what I've done, and is actually that um, I've been a father this whole time too, and so I never wanted to go away for too long. But in order to play all the places I want to play and go the places I want to go. It, there has to be, you have to do it sometime. So I tend to go away in these two week bursts. Um, so I actually tour as much as most touring artists, but I do it, usually most artists go away for three, four or five months at a time. I, I've never done that. Um, so that's why the impression is that I'm always touring. Yeah, because I am. Just keeping busy all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, and it's two things. It's music, which I love and raising my daughter, which I love. So it's, it's busy with really fun things. So with you doing these two-week bursts, it must be quite difficult being away from your daughter then. It is. I mean, that's why I don't go away for very long. Um, it, it, was, it sounds strange to say, but I'm sort of fortunate enough to to have married young and divorced young uh, because then we really just have been focused on raising our daughter. So a lot of times I would just go away according to my custody schedule. So she'd be with her mom. I'd go and do some shows. I'd come back, you know, da, 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 da. So it's... Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a lot, and I wouldn't have it any other way. What's like now that you've you've been doing this for a while? I guess uh, has life changed on the road for you over the years? Like the way that you operate? Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, especially when I went solo, uh, it really it's it's much easier to deal with life on the road alone. Um, it can be sort of lonely, but there's always people around and I meet people and I have friends all over the world and all that stuff. And there's not the, both the logistical and the emotional weight of, of a band. Um, and it's not that other people are bad people or that I'm a bad person. It's just, it's a lot of time spent with people on tour. Um, but even so even when I was on tour, I'm thinking about your question, you know, have things changed? I'm not sure how much they've changed. I just, I've always enjoyed the the kind of, um, well, the homey aspects of tour. I've enjoyed getting to stay in people's homes. I've enjoyed getting made uh, home-cooked meals. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that, that hasn't really changed. I never really went through a period where I enjoyed different things. I just always, I love the idea of being welcomed into a neighborhood or a house because I sing. It's just really, it's a really amazing thing to think about. Speaking of homely, um, we're sitting in Dunlop where you've yeah. just played one of two shows in a bowling club. Yeah. Can you explain this to me? I can't. I can't. <laughs> All I can say is that I, I, I never could have dreamed it would have turned out this way, and I'm so happy it has. It's, uh, I've been coming to Dunlop for about four years now, and... Um, it all, I, I, I kind of forget how it started, but I'm just always one that's up for, up for an adventure. So when I hear of a place that I haven't heard of and, um, and someone says, hey, let's put on a show, I'll almost always go at least once, as long as they seem nice and, you know, they got their shit together. Like, 
uh, I'll try it. And then Dunlop, it just, I was playing in this place, the Old House Pub, and, uh, <laughs> and, and the house is literally spelled H-O-O-S-E. So I love trying to pronounce it that way, Hoose. Um, but uh, so I was playing there for a few years, and so we're trying it for the first year at this bowling club, um, and I really love it. Um, and for anyone who's listening who's American, this is not the kind of bowling with the, the varnished lanes and the big heavy 10 pin bola is on grass and it's uh it's kind of one of those games where you try and get things as close as possible to a little object um that's my story on bowling <laughs> scottish style um but anyway here we are at the bowling club it's i think i was saying to my friend earlier on uh, that this might be one of the most punk rock things i've ever experienced in my life yeah see this is punk rock it, you know punk rock it's it's fine you know the jeans and the earrings and the mohawks and the rah, rah and I love that I grew up on it and I adore it and for me this is the heart of punk rock is going into a community center that um that is not usually used for rock and roll and that's to me what punk is about it's what folk is about it's what hip-hop is about it's what a lot of musics that have really come truly from from sort of the underclass and and people with a lot without a lot of money and a lot of resources you just make do. And so what I love about this is, hey, we don't need to go to some proper venue. We can just go to the bowling club. They'll let us use our room. And, you know, they're making food in the kitchen. And we brought our own PA. And, yeah, this is this is the heart of punk rock is just making things work. It kind of ties both things together. We just discussed, like, it's you've got this show in a random place and you've got being on the roads all the time. And there's nothing more punk rock than one guy and his guitar playing, like you say, just some random place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it really, and it does go back to a pretty simple, simple and similar theme, which is that um, it it's about home. It's about it's about creating a space where where people feel safe and happy and and safe and happy to feel other feelings, to be angry or to be whatever it is, and whether the music's loud or soft or silly or serious just to do it in a way that is accessible to everyone, that's not um, financially or, or in any other way out of reach for people. Um, and then just see who shows up. And the cool thing about Dunlop especially is there's literally, you know, two-year-olds here and I think up to like 80-year-olds here. You know, there's several generations of a few different families here. Um, and I love that. I, I just really love that. It's heartening to see like a whole community just as I was sitting there thinking like, They've taken this guy, this American guy that they didn't know to their heart. Like, that's insane. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it really is strange. I, I just, I, yeah, no one I know has played the Dunlop Bowling Club. No one I know is playing Dunlop. And I know a lot of musicians. Um, and it's cool. Yeah, they've been so kind to me. And I've stayed in different houses. And, um, yeah, just had all sorts of people walk up to me and say, well, yeah, and when I play in the pub, I mean, the pub's been there for 100 years or something. And I've had people come and say to me that they've never seen it so alive. And when someone who's 75 says that about a place that's been standing 100 years and they've been going their whole life, that's something. Yeah, that's, it's some, yeah, yeah. that's, that's pretty amazing to me. And I'm sure they've had a lot of fun nights in there. And so the fact that this person who doesn't even know me doesn't, no punk rock doesn't know anything like that just gets the emotion of it just yeah. the feeling of it that's the stuff that's so the stuff. it's almost like being at home i guess like with that whole the whole sense of love yeah it is it is i mean it's it's really i i've always had kind of a small family and i think somewhere in there i just 
I think I just started to choose to make as many people my family as possible um, to really kind of have it be a, a situation where, yeah, I would have a familiarity with people, even if we really never spoke that much, just to have it be the feeling of sitting in the living room with the family and, and singing. That's just, that was basically a living room you just played in and you're going to play in again. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's it's kind of my favorite. There's there's no way to be, you know, some dumb, pretentious rock star when you're in a bowling club. There's just no way. You can't, <laughs> there's no way it's going to happen. Um, and I really enjoy spaces like that. So apart from apart from the touring a lot, you've you've done a lot. You've done quite a few projects over the like forever, I guess. And you've worked with some some people, I guess, maybe your contemporaries, but in my eyes. They're just as legendary as you, like Jay Robbins, oh, yeah. you know, Ian from Rival Schools. How does that come about? Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, how does it come about? Oh, by the way, we're sitting overlooking this lawn and this little gazebo-y type thing because it keeps raining on and off, and so people are walking by. And so, yeah, there you go. Um, uh, so, yeah, Jay, Jay, I mean, he, he's, he's a hero to me, too. Um, Jawbox, actually, way, way forever ago, when Far was considering signing to a major label, we, I wrote to Jawbox on AOL.com, actually. They had an AOL email address. And so I wrote to that address because they were one of the first kind of indie bands who had signed with a major label. And it wasn't because they needed a bunch of money or anything like that. It was really actually that they, like Far, were just kind of misfits, basically. Um, and so they landed at Atlantic. And so I wrote to them saying, how's your experience been? And, um, and they've been, they were so generous. They'd never met me and they were so nice and wrote back and really kind of gave their thoughts on what was working for them and what wasn't. And, um, so I've, yeah, I've loved their music for a long time and them as people for that kindness for a long time. And then Jay, well, yeah, so I did a cover of Savory, this song of theirs. And one particular version of it is me in a Casio machine. Um, and I played that for Jay. I got to perform that for him, actually, when he was out at a conference for a recording magazine called Tape Up. He was in Sacramento, where I was living at the time. And so I played it for him while he was there. And I was very embarrassed, but it was fun. I like being embarrassed. It's fun. Um, and so I played it for him. And he really liked it. And we just kind of kept in touch over the years. And it's kind of thing with rock and roll. I've discovered that the longer I kick around, the more fun it is to see other people that are kicking around that long too. It's just cool feeling. And, and um, so I think we've got a kind of a simpatico thing going right there. And so, yeah, we just kept in touch. And then this guy sent me some music last year. No, two years ago. No, gosh. Um, and I wasn't that into the music. It was fine. It was just rock and roll, but and rock and roll is wonderful. And, I've sung a lot of it. I've listened to a lot of it. So I couldn't really hear it. And then this guy mentioned that Jay Robbins was involved. And just knowing that Jay had given his time and his energy to it, it really made me listen to the music a little harder, honestly. Um, and it's just that kind of thing. I, I, I just, it, yeah. And also, I just really wanted to be on a recording with Jay Robbins. So I was like, all right, I'll do this. Um, right? I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to do that? So... Uh, so I sang some vocals in my bedroom, sent them over. Jay really liked them. Everyone really liked them. Um, and so that turned into a seven inch called Moral Mazes. Um, and or the project, I guess, is called Moral Mazes. The seven inch was called Magic Tommy Johnson, which is a whole other story. Was it Johnson or Jackson? Jackson? Jackson. Magic Tommy Jackson. 
which is, you know, I'm not going to try to explain it, but once you see that picture, you'll understand. Um, anyway, to make a long story longer, we then went on tour last year, um, did a little acoustic tour, and it was super, it, it, was, it was as cool as I was ever hoping it would be to hang out with him and play music with him. And we talked a bit about recording some sometime. And there's this guy, Zach Barocas, who has been one of Jay's drummers for a long time now, and they're dear, dear friends. Um, Zach's been around since Jawbox, and yeah, he's a great, great player, great person, I've now found out. Um, so we talked about it loosely last year in New York, and then this past, gosh, what was it, just a couple months ago now, um, we made some songs. I went to Baltimore for a weekend and we recorded some songs and I really love them. And they're, they're, I don't know when they're going to come out or what we're calling them or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting to look over and see Jay Robbins like rocking out to a vocal I just did. Like that's, that's pretty cool. I'm not afraid to admit it. Like you've you've been involved in a lot of different projects, including I as another with Ian from Rival yeah, Schools, yeah. and obviously like Ratchet stuff and all that. Like it seems to be that, in my opinion, you're one of the guys that a lot of bands that know, and even as far back as Funeral for a Friend, it's always been like they've been inspired by you and Far. Mm. So it kind of makes sense that you'd be working with people that have kind of inspired you now in your life. Do you know what I mean? Like at this point, yeah, it's cool. I like I've never really thought about it like that, but I, but there was a thing a long time ago where some artists I met that I really loved, um, Pearl Jam or U2 or different folks I'd run into, um, just going to shows, just, you know, just going to rock shows and following the band around like anyone else does. Um, they treated me so nicely and it really affected me. I thought, this is the way that I want this to be for anyone that ever cares about my music. I want them to have this interesting and, and human and experience um, and also, frankly, I've met people over the years who have reminded me how I don't want to do it, um, who really, I think, are just sort of lost in rock and roll and egos and whatever that is. And so I've had people giving me lessons on what to do and what not to do. And it is wonderful to play with people who grew up loving my music or just to talk. And um, because I know quite, quite literally exactly how it feels to be so in love with a musician or a song or anything and then get to meet them. And I, I just really adore the feeling that I've gotten. So I'm, I'm happy to, to kind of pass that along. And hopefully the folks that, that are inspired by me in whatever way then turn around, of course, and inspire someone else. Well, having been doing what you've been doing for a while and you mentioned you've met some artists that you, you don't particularly, like they've treated you kind of not nicely and sure. they've got lost. Is that, is that an easy thing for somebody that's on the road a lot or making a lot of music over a long period of time to get lost? I think it has something to do with scale. Scale is a thing I, is a thing I think about a lot. Um, I don't think it's the, the time touring. I think it's the way in which one tours. And I don't think it's rock and roll. As a, it's not making music. It's not anything. that. It's about when the business gets gets to be... Uh, like business, like business. I like guess it's, it's well said. Yeah, it's it's just. I don't. I love making money doing this. I, I'm so impossibly grateful that I've carved out a little life where I get to pay my rent and take care of my kid. And um, you know, it's. A, I've never had a lot of money. I've never owned a new car. I've never had a dishwasher in my house. I've never had a laundry machine in my house. I've never 
had fancy things and I've gotten to live from singing. And a lot of the reason I think I'm still so happy doing it is because frankly, I never got that famous. And while the money would be nice and a lot of things about it would be nice, it I've seen enough people that I really love and people that I don't really know get really screwed up. And it's sort of counterintuitive that someone would be earning millions of dollars and be revered by literally millions of people and would still be tremendously unhappy. And I think a lot of artists, they, they start unhappy. That's why I think we make art is, um, is to heal ourselves to, as our, you know, in the best way we know. And so that is true too. It's not that rock and roll or fame makes people unhappy. However, it certainly doesn't seem to solve problems and it seems to exacerbate some emotional problems. And even where there were no emotional problems, I think being treated like an object and treating other people like objects for a long enough time, it hardens people. Um, and it's kind of overwhelming. And I think in some part of myself, I know when I get close to that, I just know that that doesn't feel right. And I've just never pushed past that point. I've listened to that and gone, okay, I'm gonna stop now because this doesn't feel good. And for me, I've had enough people die and I'm, I'm aware enough of mortality that I just, I have no interest in sort of trying to reach some strange goal in my life and somehow missing my life aspiring to that goal. So I think all of those things are what tears people up. Um, it's, it's really, yeah, sort of reaching for false gods kind of thing. And I don't mean that in any particularly religious way. I just mean kind of worshiping states of being that, that are just kind of illusory. Um, I mean, I don't know why we believe in things like afterlives because I think it causes a lot of problems. It, the, the, as far as I can tell, we're here and then we're not. And while we're here, great, do whatever we can, but it doesn't matter after we're gone. And it doesn't even matter to us what, if we're famous after we're dead, why do, this doesn't matter. Um, we, th those of us that are alive still make something about the fact that, that, um, of, of dead people, of people that are gone and that's fine, but that person isn't around. And so of course I would love for people to talk nicely about me when I'm gone. And, um, outside of that, I don't think there's any reason to aspire to, to these sort of crazy ambitions in this life, because I think to lose this life aspiring to things is, um, was one of the crueler ironies.
some laws that make some sense Something stolen or something left A preacher or a president that never lies and never sins And tells us what a mess we're in Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you Tomorrow, I dream of guess a lot of the time that's what leads to that whole kind of being broken by you know being eventually treating people badly because you've not had those kind of dreams or those ideas that you had those preconceived notions that you had before you started getting big in a band to then become to not have a like I guess fulfilled you know well that's something that can happen too absolutely I mean where where yeah if 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 I'm well there's a phrase I really love that I find myself saying a lot these days and it's just simply hurt people, hurt people. And so my thing is, what can I do to heal myself so that I don't then pass on that hurt to other people in whatever way? And yeah, if I'm always setting myself up to never be enough and that I've never, I'm never famous enough, I'm never rich enough, I'm never hot enough, I'm never, what, if I'm doing all that and hurting myself that way, then that sucks in and of itself. And then, yeah, if I'm bitter to other people, that would otherwise be helping me and I would be having a fun time with because I'm lost in my sort of imagination of what I'm supposed to be or what they're supposed to be or whatever that is. Um, it really causes, a, you know, it can't be overstated how much pain that causes um, in a very real way. Um, if our world weren't such a horrific, fucked up, violent place, this might just all be kind of blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, passed on trauma and hurt people hurting people. I mean, this is, this is wars. This is suicides. This is murders. This is any problem. This is drug addiction. This is any problem you can think of is essentially based in someone or something not being enough for someone. Um, whether it's a dream or another person or a level of wealth 
or whatever it is. And then as soon as one person is scarred, that person is ever more likely to pass that on to someone else. And it's, it's, it's one of the more sad legacies that we've got. And so I just aspire to whatever I've been through, painful or not, I guess I try and leave the, the hurt behind um, and deal with it myself so that no one else will have to deal with it. So to go on to another topic, I guess, because um, we're about creativity here at the Curator Podcast, um, I've read a lot of interviews with you recently and doing my research, and uh, you have no one's ever really asked you this question, so I, th- I think it's a, quite a self-evident question that we okay. should be asking you. It's okay. like, who are some of the songwriters you look up to that started that creative spark in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's there were, the, there were the people that were just around when I happened to be little and starting to listen to music. Um, so, uh, cliche though it may be, I mean, the Beatles, uh, they have two particular collections that really are just part of my DNA. One is the 62 to 66, it's known as the Red album, and then 67 to 70, the Blue album. And they're these two gatefold vinyl albums that were in my house when I was little. And paperback writer... If there's one song that started my head sparking to make music, it's it's that song. I mean, it's actually about that sort of thing too, which, you know, is, as corny as that sounds, when I was like nine, that was exciting as hell. Um, and also the crack of that snare drum and that song, uh, the start of that song, it just, there's some moments that happen in rock and roll that are just, that, that have opened up so much possibility for me. Um, so yeah. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel were a big deal too. They're around. Um, Joe Cocker, there's a self-titled record of his. There was almost a picture on the cover more than anything else, but it was that and his cover of With a Little Help from My Friends, back to the Beatles. But he does this bluesy, rocked out cover of that song. And that was also exciting to me to hear this one really goofy, you know, would you believe it? You know, which is wonderful. I love that tune so much. And I've like sung it with my daughter and I adore it. But then to hear... Joe Cocker do it in this entirely different way. Uh, that also really opened my head up to possibilities in music, and I still love covers and doing them, and I think a lot of that is, uh, is from that. Um, Jackson Brown, this kind of American singer-songwriter guy, a record called Late for the Sky. I still... Oh, man, it just... Uh, yeah, I mean, I still remember that feeling of... of that record, that record that when you come to the place where the road and the sky divide, like that, oh my gosh, I mean, that, that line just affected me so much as a little kid. I don't even know why or how, but it was sort of the right place, right time. So, <clears throat> and then, gosh, I mean, there's just, just endless. I mean, I, I just grew up raised on radio. So when I was, you know, a little kid like Pat Benatar on the radio, I loved listening to her. And um, there's this like, American teen idol called Sean Cassidy that was a really big deal to me when I was little. And um, and then as I kind of grew up a little bit and got into stuff, oh, The Who, Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy, um, that record, whew, man, Anyway, Anyhow, Anywhere, that is a song, also with a great snare crack at the beginning of it. Um, and just those lines, I can do anything, like just, again, it, 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 these lines that sound corny when we grow up, uh, or maybe not. Maybe they still sound awesome because it's still awesome to me. But as a little kid, and that was fairy tales for me. That was superheroes. That was sharks. That was dinosaurs. Those songs were that. They were this big, big deal to me. Um, and then as I grew up, I mean, I think it went, yeah, I was in Boston 
Um, so there were some bands that were huge at the time. I mean, Aerosmith and the band Boston and the Cars. So these bands that were massive in the city that I was living in. And then there were bands that, uh, lesser known bands, Mission of Burma, um, even lesser known bands that probably no one's heard of, like O Positive was probably my biggest influence in high school because they were a local band, but they seemed like gods to me, you know, and they wrote these cool tunes and made these records, but they never got anywhere really. Um, but at the time it was a great, huge deal for me. And then, yeah, I mean, in high school, discovering the pretenders, discovering Chrissy Hind and just this kind of butch, gender indeterminate, tough woman, just singing her heart out and this amazing band and this woman fronting this band of men. And um, that was just a huge, wonderful possibility. Suzanne Vega's first record was a real eye-opener for me in terms of songwriting in particular, because it was just her and a guitar, basically. There were other production elements, but um, it was a really big deal to me at the time because I was lo lo loving rock and roll, but rock and roll records, I couldn't really get my head around how I was ever going to make one. They're so loud and big. And, and Suzanne Vega's record, for whatever reason, I just thought, wait, I could do this. Not, not that I could write songs that good, but I could make this noise in my house with no one there. And so I used to, you know, use uh, tape decks. I would put them together so I could use them as a multi-track by like recording into one of them while the other one was playing and all this crazy stuff. And so then I got my first four track recorder and then I was kind of off to the races. And then I was interested in some more acoustic music because it, it felt more available to me as a person. Um, I couldn't sing like Robert Plant, I, you know, um, but I could, I could sing softly into my microphone late at night and it would sound okay in the recorder. And that was, that was huge for me. Um, so yeah, post-punk was a big deal. I mean, The Clash, Can't Overstate It, U2, Can't Overstate It, R.E.M., Joe Jackson, Pretenders and Susan Vega already mentioned. Um, Tracy Chapman's first record was a massive deal to me. Um, and, and then all the while, I mean, I was in a hip-hop, like I was in dance crew when I was in high school called The Final Touch. Um, we, were, we would do break dancing. And so I was listening to Red and EMC and Nucleus and Grandmaster Flash and all the early uh, amazing hip, art, hip hop artists. So I was into that. I was that kid. You know, I had the Zeppelin pins on and then was listening to hip hop. And then as I came to high school, I mean, bands like Fishbone really opened up a lot for me. They were really crossing genres and they're black playing rock and roll. And then, but then doing it really differently than anyone else and seeing them early on was a big deal for me. Um, and a thread I discovered as I kind of tried to think about why I liked what I liked. Um, and you know, it's funny, I haven't even mentioned Led Zeppelin and I, I really wish to say that there's kind of every other band for me and then there's Led Zeppelin. Um, they're, you know, they're who I lost my virginity to. They're, they're who, they just spoke to me so much in a way that I, I don't think I'll ever understand. Um, but I think in hindsight, one thing I really loved is that they could be so heavy and aggressive and decadent and, and then also so sweet and flowery and hippie-ish and um, acoustic stuff and electric stuff. And it really, what I've really come to love are artists. And so I think my deepest lifelong influences are people like Zeppelin, Prince, Neil Young, David Bowie, 
um, Miles Davis, um, in any genre, uh, no matter what, anyone who's willing to take risks, both emotionally and sonically, um, those are the people that really keep me going. So at this point, you know, 20 years into a career, the artists that mean the most to me um, are the artists that seem to keep pushing and are remain human. Um, and I never know what to expect, but I always know they're going to be trying something new. That, that really just, yeah. When you mention something like uh, Baby or Prince or... Zeppelin, those are artists that are like hugely um, creative, not in just in the sense that they make really creative music, but they're prolif prolific as well, much like yourself. Is yeah. what, like, what drives like being pro prolific in your eyes? Like, where does that come from? Well, I don't know, and I think that's what drives me. I think there's just something really exciting about the fact, you know, the, the, the heart question mark thing that I've got tattooed on me and that is all over the place and my stuff is, that's really come to mean to me, you know, a lot. Like I love ideas, I love mystery and, and there's no, to me, greater mystery than where an idea comes from. Sure, someday I'll hear a song and you know, I'll blah, blah. But really, when I get woken up at three in the morning one night, I think, you know, people say grace before meals or sort of, um, you know, the way a lot of people think of God or something. I think of creativity in that way. I mean, that you, I couldn't, it wasn't too long before I had to think I'm creating all these things. So what is this thing about a creator? And so I think I, I think I just, and Neil Young talks about this. I just really try and honor my ideas because I think of them as little gifts, not gifts for anyone else, not gifts that need to be important to anyone else. This is not about that my songs are great at all. It's about that they are exciting to me in that moment. And if they are, how do I say thank you for that? And I guess I say thank you by trying to kind of usher them out into the world, kind of give them a little life. Um, so it's creativity for me. Um, and again, I mean, we're only here for so long, truly. And so I don't know what's happening with that, but why not? Why not play around? Um, why not record that idea? I, I feel like people talk about being bored in this life and I don't think it's really, there's like, I don't think it's really possible to be bored. It's, you could choose to feel that way, but there's always something. There's always something. Even if it's lying down and taking a nap, that's a creative act. So I don't know, I get excited even talking about it. It's just really, I, it's just really fun for me. And of course, to have the validation of any other human being and people like what I do and like it enough to give me any money for it and help me live my life. That's a whole other round of thank yous. But I think if I'm not excited for about it myself, then I'm not even giving anyone anything that's worthwhile. Um, so again, I'd rather, I'd rather hear an artist do something that they truly love, even if I don't like it as much. I'd rather know that they truly love it than an artist that somehow knows what I like and can kind of like deliver that to me. That's not my artist. Um, so yeah. Well, that kind of, uh, the next question I was going to ask you is about the, idea, the Ideas Project, uh, yeah. which you're doing. Uh, could you explain that a little bit to the listeners and then we can maybe talk about that? Um, so the Ideas Project, I forget what the acronym is. It's uh, Interdependent, Definitely Excellent Activities Society, I think. Just an excuse to word ideas. Um, and it's just a, uh, 
it's just a little thing where rather than buying a record at a time or a t-shirt at a time or whatever, people can ship in at whatever the level they want every month and they'll get a little song. I do online shows for the community. Um, I uh, make people recordings for, for themselves. Um, just sort of anything you can do to be an ongoing personal relationship. It's, this is what is the most interesting thing to me about making music with and for people um, is this is this being in a part of each other's lives. So ideas is really putting that at the forefront. It's, it's, I want to turn up on everyone's credit card statement every month. Like I really want them to see that and to go, how's Jonah doing? You know? And, and, and I, cause I think about them too. And then they write to me and they say, Hey, what's up? And they say, you know, they ask me a question and not that anyone can't ask me a question anytime I try to remain open, but I have to say there's something about this little community. That's pretty wonderful. Like we've all got each other's back. It's, it's just good. Well, I think that's probably a good idea to a, a good time to wrap up then. Okay, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to eat my burger. Um, and yeah, I mean, for any of this stuff, I mean, yeah, we could talk for hours and days about yes. all this. This is music. This is life. And, but yeah, do, do come and visit um, on the internets or to a show. And um, thanks to you for making this. Thank you for it. Yeah. Speaking of ideas, it. you're making your own ideas. See, is, this is the way. Well, no, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's the whole Yoda thing. There is no try, only do. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it, or he says in some Yoda way. Anyway, it, this is what ideas are and making them real. So way to be. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for talking to me. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. So there you have it, folks. Jordan, I'm a triangle. I was really nervous when I was doing that interview. Uh, maybe you can tell. It was not just the fact that I was talking to a guy who... I've got quite a lot of respect for, but also because I was in a very unfamiliar place. One of the things I've noticed about doing this podcast is that it's pushing me out of my comfort zone and it's making me do things that I never thought I could ever do. Before that, I would never have thought to travel outside of Glasgow to a show by myself, even though it's just 20 minutes from the train from where I live. It's still kind of a big deal for me especially because I, I do tend to suffer from quite crippling anxiety and I have done for many years. So all I need to say is thanks to you for listening to that. Thanks to Jonah for being very gracious and I guess thanks to Jamie and all the people in Dunlop who had me some kind of weird Glaswegian interloper appearing out of nowhere to a show in the middle of nowhere and just sat down and was blown away by the experience. So yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on Facebook, that's the Curator Podcast. Check us out on Twitter, the Curator Pod. The website is the curatorpodcast.com. You can send me an email over there, you can join the newsletter, all of that. If you get a second, please rate and review me on iTunes. It means, means a lot to me. It's really important to Apple as well, and especially for new podcasts to get some notice. So please, please do that. And uh, that's pretty much all I have to say. I'm going to play you out with a track called It's the Skin. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
would steal for fun And we'd get caught We would run But we wouldn't get shot the same 